Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. Hey, thanks for that. That's so kind. If I ever do jump and spit and stuff, it'll be a debacle. Wow. I always get explicit instructions from my kids. Do not say a joke and don't dance. Yeah, last time I did a joke, Grace was sitting in the second row and she's like, no. I heard about it forever. It was brutal. All right, I'll try. Okay, why did the the bees leave the beehive to go to church? Because they were believers. Come on, right? That was free. That wasn't in my notes. So good, eh? Spontaneity, all that stuff. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit more about relationships. I'm going to be real with you. I'm, uh, I'm working on them. Is that fair to say? I, like, I think we all are. Some of us might be a little bit better at them than others. I, I kind of see myself kind of way down here. But it, I used to think it was a bit of a disadvantage to be a serious introvert. But I, I'm, I'm not actually worried about it. I, uh, I feel like I, uh, I'm learning. I feel like it's one of those things that uh, I have to be intentional about. And, uh, and that's okay. It really is. I really don't mind. Because honestly, I think relationships are, well, you can't escape them. Right? You can't, you can't get through life without a relationship. Everybody's got relationships with everybody. It's just on different, different levels and different ways. And, and so it's good. We can't be afraid of them. And uh, God is really, really, really up to something in regards to relationships. I, I, um, I, I'd just like to look at all the different churches. I think I mentioned this last week about uh, on social media. I try and follow all, all the churches around here and see what's going on. And honestly, lots of them, God's speaking to the church, and they're doing relationship series. Now, I'm, I'm sure that's got to do with family day and all that kind of stuff. But also, like, relationships is what God's all about, right? The whole, this whole thing is about being in a relationship with him. And his love being able to transform us and being able to relate well to one another. So relationships are a big deal. Pastor Carl started us off a couple weeks ago and he was talking about the mindset that you need to approach relationships with. Philippians 2 5 says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And we talked about how you got to let go. You got to let go of your rights sometimes in relationships. Sometimes you're holding on to the, to the thing you think that you're owed. And that's actually one of the biggest detriments to the relationship where Jesus, he's like, you know, all the rights, everything I'm actually really entitled to as the son of God, I'm actually going to just let those go, let those slide for a little bit. And I'm actually going to enter into a relationship with people where I'm not demanding things, I'm giving. So the son of man came not to, not to be served, but to serve. And that was the mindset he had in his relationships. He decided he was going to consider other people as more important than himself, which is absolutely amazing. I mean, you don't get any more important than God. Right? And he comes and he decides he's going to get involved with people, people with issues going on, things that he doesn't have to care about, but he does. It's amazing. He decided to serve our mess. And then when you can say, Lord, when you can acknowledge that Jesus is the source in your life and you don't need to uh, kind of take from people to try and feel like you need to be complete by what they can offer you when, you, when you can recognize Jesus as source, then you're free in your mind to embrace people and to actually be able to serve them instead of taking from them. So we talked about that week one. Last week, we talked about how relationships can be tough. 
if we're being real, right? Sometimes, most people, if you ask them what the biggest problem in their life is, they'd give you a name. Yeah? Or there'd be a name pretty closely associated with that problem. And, and that's not to say people are, are awful. It's just to acknowledge that, you know what, relationships can be the biggest source of joy and the biggest source of pain, and oftentimes at the same time. Isn't that true? But here's the thing. When that kind of situation happens, what we need to do is lean in. We need to decide, you know what, I'm not going to let the difficulty of relationship drive me away from people. I'm actually going to push in. And maybe it means that you need to find some new people. But what you do need is people. You can't decide that you're going to isolate and just back off and back away from people. We need each other. We're designed for relationship. Relationship's good for you. It'll make you happy. It'll make you healthy. And if you have good ones, they'll actually help you to, to know who you are. And, and just by being in relationship with the right people, it can actually make you come alive. Who you are, your gifts, your talents, your skills, your, your core personality can come to life around the people that you're supposed to be around and the people who give life to you rather than take from you. Right? So we want to be those kind of people as well. Now, I mentioned this last week when, uh, when Sean Bowles was here. Everybody remember Sean Bowles, prophetic voice. He said that what he thought the next move of God was going to look like was it was going to look like healthy family. Isn't that amazing? Healthy family. See, what God is up to is actually he is active in the church right now. And you know what? If we quiet our hearts and we listen, he's actually active in each one of us, not just in special seasons of revival, but all the time in order to make us better at relationships. See, God is a loving God. He's a relational God. He, he's all about love. He's all about other people. He's all about giving himself to others. And there's very definable traits and skills that we can learn in order to make that a smoother, more enjoyable process for the people that we're in relationship with and for ourselves. And I would argue with you that one of the biggest deficits in, in, in Christian discipleship at large is, is the failure to pay attention to the fact that actually it's relationships that Jesus cares about the most. See, we can, we can prophesy till the mountains. We can do all that kind of stuff. We can give our body to be burned. We can do all sorts of stuff. But if you don't have love, it doesn't profit you anything. And love is something expressed in a relationship. Now, it doesn't do me any good to love you like crazy and to tell you that I have all these sorts of feelings and affections for you. But one, you never know it because I don't know how to tell you. And two, I don't speak your language. So even if I do say it to you, I'm going to be like, you're going to say, what? I don't recognize that as love. So we need to develop this kind of communication in these relationships that make life, love pal palatable, that make love communicable, that make it so that I can receive your love. And that's actually what God has done for us. See, he decided that the, the fullness of everything he would do in our lives and in the world, the way he was going to reveal himself was through the vehicle of relationship. So he, instead of writing his name across the sky, he said, I'm going to invest my name in a people, and it's through their interactions with each other that I'm going to make myself known. So Jesus said, you know, it's by your love that the world is going to know that, I, that you're my disciples. It's not through your knowledge. It's not through your ability to do certain things, which are all really, really important. Like, for example, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, our private time, uh, spending time with Jesus, studying, learning your Bible, all that kind of stuff. It's all super important. But I'll tell you what, if it's divorced from love, if it's not connected with good, sound, solid relationship skills, it, it's almost for waste. It really is. So, so Paul said in 1 Corinthians uh, 14, 1, he said, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Relationships are really, really important. And I want to argue today that if you, if, you embrace your, if you embrace the work of God in your life, 
you're going to find that one of the things he's doing, one of the things that the love of God poured abroad in your heart, shed abroad inside of you, is doing is it's discipling you and helping you through the experience of his love be skilled, be able, be competent in communicating that love to other people in very definable ways. So right now, we're so blessed in the day and age that we live. We've got, we've got people like psychology and psychiatrists and all this kind of stuff, and, and we're going to experience that in a couple weeks. I'm pretty excited to see my pastors get some, some therapy in front of everybody. <laughs> no, not saying you need it. I'm just saying I want to watch it. <laughs> It's going to be great. But you know what? We, we, we owe a debt to those people and to that discipline because what they're able to do for us is they're able to give us language that helps us to be able to talk about and have handles for the things that the Spirit of God is doing on the inside of us. See, he's teaching us how to love. And sometimes we, don't, we need help. We need a little bit of, okay, I need you to define that for me. I feel an impulse on the inside, but until I actually get it defined for me and somebody's able to explain it to me and unpack it to me, I have a hard time cooperating with what God's doing inside of me. But sometimes if there's a smart therapist who can say, hey, what you need to be is, uh, let's say, authentic, and you can define that for me and model it for me, now all of a sudden I have a reference and a grid, some language I can grab hold of and some handles to help me participate with what the Spirit of God's doing on the inside of me. So what we're doing when we're talking about relationship skills isn't religious works. We're not talking about, you know what, go, go try really, really hard to do this. No, we're, we're, we're saying let's embrace the fact that the love of God has been shed abroad inside my heart already. Let's embrace the fact that the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is something that he's already working inside of me and it's his fruit. It's not mine. But when you have these handles, it's, it's a lot easier. Do you know what I mean? You understand what I'm saying? Okay, so there's a couple skills that I want to talk about today. That I think, okay, relationships, they, they pave the way into success in life, but these skills, are, I, I was trying to be like Pastor Carl and think of something like some clever alliteration, but the best I came up with was an acronym, and uh, I guess, think about this as bricks in a pathway, right? If you put each of these skills in the, in the bricks, it's going to create a pathway. It's going to pave the way into healthy, successful relationships. So one of those is presence or being present authenticity, vulnerability, and expectation management. All the things that if you were to follow me around, you'd see I'm not awesome at. <laughs> Just being honest, okay? I, actually, I think I nail authenticity, but we'll talk about that. Oh, that's great. My pastor said she thinks I got that one, so I feel good. All right, I'm affirmed. I can keep going. All right, first one, presence. This is a skill set that I think if you, if you, again, if you tune into what God's doing inside of you, he's, you're going to actually realize God is doing something in me to help me to be present in my relationships. And when we're talking about being present to people and developing the skill of presence, it's not actually always about physical proximity, although that can be really, really important. So there's this guy, his name's Nate Puccini. He's the executive pastor of Substance Church. I like to give credit where credit's due. But he said this. He said that distance creates distortion, and God's called us to close the gap in relationship to overcome the distortions by eliminating distance. And the thing that God did is he did that for us, right? He tried to communicate with us. There was, there was a distance between us and God. We ran away from him and tried to hide when we sinned, and we became aware of our, our, our fallenness. And we said, you know what, God, you stay over there. I'm going to go hide behind my fig tree. And then, you know, hundreds of years later, God tried to speak to the people, the Israelites in the wilderness, and what happened was he came and he showed up on a mountain, and they were so spooked. They were so messed up by what sin had done in their brain that when they saw the fire, instead of seeing love and glory and a, and a call to be refined and transformed and brought back into the image and likeness of God, what they saw was a fire that was going to kill them. 
And they, they got scared, and they said, actually, Moses, we don't want to go anywhere near that mountain. You, you go do that for us. We're too scared. He's going to kill us. And their fear caused them to misinterpret uh, God. So they, they had this distance between them, and the only way that God could get close enough to them was through the law and through the prophets. And the people themselves said, Moses, you be that go-between between us. So there was always a middleman. And the problem with the middleman is there's distortions. You never get the clear picture of who God really is when it's coming through the law, when it's coming through prophets. Just like I could never have a really good relationship with my wife if every time I wanted to talk to her, I called somebody up and said, hey, can you talk to my wife for me? You know what I mean? It's kind of like at school. You know, pass the note. Will you date me? Yes or no? You know what I mean? And you, you hey, go, go, go get this, this letter. To, I don't know. I never did that. I'm just saying, just being clear. But you know what I mean? It doesn't work. You need, you need face-to-face. You need to be like in proximity with people. So God did this. We saw it in Philippians. Did Jesus, he became, uh, he became made a man. He took on human likeness. He was found in appearance as a man. And not only did he come and be with us by taking on that earth suit, but it says he actually humbled himself, even to the point of death. He got so close to us that he actually entered into the nastiness of our situation. Isn't that amazing? Like, he didn't just come and walk with us. He walked with us in our problems. Even the worst problem that humanity faced, which was death. It's amazing. He was present with us, but he's also present to us. And that's a different kind of presentness that we also need to learn. Now, I am awesome at this. I can, I can successfully spend time with you. I can be in a room with you. I can spend hours with you and not actually be there. Like, I mean, we're sitting down together. We're sitting in the same room, but I'm, I'm somewhere else. I mean, I, I'm blessed with this ability. I think it's a gift. Some people appreciate it, my wife doesn't. <clears throat> There's actually people out there who, when you're with them, they actually want you to pay attention to them. Can you believe that? They're, those people exist. I married one. So I'm learning, and I've got the Holy Spirit, and I've got Jen to help me. Both are very eager to. And, and I appreciate it. But I'll tell you what, nothing communicates you matter to me as I'm willing to give you my time, but also my attention. You see, you want to be able to listen to people. You're not really with them if you're not really paying attention to them. So you, you can be present. You know, you can come in and out of a building, per se. And you can be with people, but never be, really be present to them. It's possible. I mean, it's really possible, even in a gathering like this, to come in and out. To just, you know, to, to, to come and, and, and not really be present to anybody. Not, not even say hi or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, this works on every level. This is true on a big scale. This is true in our interpersonal and our closest relationships, unfortunately. So the Apostle Paul, he said, to the, he said to the Philippians, he said, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and do just as you've seen us model for you and keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So in other words, he's saying, fix your attention on others. Let others fix their attention on you. Be present to people, not just with them. See, he was so present with them, he, he made his time matter so much that when he was present, they had a model to follow, but when he wasn't physically present, the impact of his presentness to them carried on. That's amazing, eh? That's so good. So what that means in real life is, I don't know, like, if you've got kids or you, you've had an experience where you, you, you're married or you've got friends, friends you've got a friend circle, and people are like, man, I never get to see you. Sometimes that happens in life, right? Sometimes you're busy. And that's okay. I mean, your vision in life should not be to be tied to the hip to somebody else. You know, that kind of thing, it kind of breeds 
codependency. It's not really good, you know? So, so we're not, what we're not advocating for is saying, you need to be with somebody 24-7. But what I am saying is sometimes you have to plan to be with someone. And then when you are with that person, you need to make sure that you're present to them and not just with them. And when you're able to do that and we're able to work on and develop this, uh, it it's actually bears a lot of fruit. For Paul, it was actually so effective that he, he had such great confidence in this people. And he was like, you know, you obeyed me when I was present. You're going to listen when I'm absent. Because I know that we've connected on a level because we've actually been together. And there's been some communication back and forth. So that's really cool, eh? Uh, practically, it can, it can involve things like you can develop like your active listening skills. If you want to get really practical and get down to the nuts and bolts of this, you know, you, you can do things like that. You can do things like, for me, it's, it's putting that down. Yeah, sometimes I'm having a conversation. Um, it's like, yep, yep, yep. But it's all good. You know what I mean? There's things you can do. There's things you can do. And, and the Spirit of God is at work inside of us. And you know what? Sometimes when I'm not present with somebody, do you know why it is? It's often because I, I'm anxious about something. I'm worried about something. Something's on my mind. Something's going on. There's a problem I'm trying to solve or, or there's something I'm, I'm trying to be somewhere else at the same time. And you know what? When you embrace the, the Jesus mindset, like Pastor Carl said, and you're able to put other people and their interests and their, their needs above your own, you can actually kind of let that stuff go and you can be fully present. So I think it's in Philippians 2 where it talks about the peace of God that passes all understanding. Get filled with the peace of God and you'll be able to live in the moment and you don't have to escape it. And then you can be present with people. All right, so that's being present. Number two, we want to talk about authenticity. And I think that everybody is searching for it. It's, it's a bit of a buzzword, and I think that that's good because that means there's a buzz about it. We all want to be real. We want to have real connections and real relationships. Nobody wants to be in a phony scenario where everybody's being fake with them. I mean, collectively, I think we're, we're all crying out for putting away the fake stuff, the fake news, the fake everything, and we want the truth. We want reality. We want reality in our relationships. And the, the thing with that is, though, that at the same time, there's this cry for authenticity and reality. There's also, I don't think there's ever been a time before where we have so many forces and pressures have access to us trying to shape us and mold us into something that we're not. See, that, that's true in relationships. That's true in uh, just our, our society at large. It's true in our culture, through marketing, all sorts of stuff. But there's a couple problems with that. When you fail to be authentic and real in your relationships, that can actually be fatal to your relationship. Because really, if you think about it, you're not actually really connecting with somebody when you're not presenting who you really are. And that's not fair to the other person. What you're doing is you're giving them a caricature of maybe what you think they want you to be, or you're presenting what you want to be. But you're not actually presenting your real self, and eventually, that bubble's going to burst. You're either going to get sick and tired of it, and you know, you're going to say, I can't do this anymore, and then the real you comes out, and everybody's like, whoa, where did that come from? And you're like, hey, that's just me. You know, and, and the reality is it's because you haven't actually given yourself permission to breathe and be you. So we got we to gotta be real. And, and honestly, keeping up facades, you just can't do it for long. I mean, eventually something's going to happen. You're going to let your guard down, or, or some sort of pressure or stress is going to come along, and bam, the real you is going to pop out. And that, I mean, it could be scary for the other person, but it's actually healthy. But it's better to not have to get there, right? It's better to not have to blow up. But here's the thing. Authenticity. This is, this is one of my own personal pet peeves, just saying this. Being authentic, I want to tell you what it's not. It's not a license to run around and demand your own way or just dump all your thoughts and all your feelings and all your opinions on everybody else. 
It's not a license to complain and criticize and make demands in the name of just being real. Is that okay? Yeah? Like, I don't know. Like, sometimes you can... I used this example before, so I'm going to be very careful. Jen, I love your sweater. Let's pretend, though, that I, that I had a bad day. Let's pretend she's really annoyed me. The dog... Oh, my goodness. This is a blouse. Sorry. <laughs> I, I don't even know what that means. And I say to Jen, like, I'm annoyed with her, and I'm like, your sweater looks kind of stupid. And then she's like, what? And I'm like, hey, just being real. Just being honest. You know what I mean? There's ways that we use sometimes and hide behind this thing called authenticity when really it's just a way to make a thinly veiled criticism or to manipulate a little bit just to try and get what you want just a little bit. Get that dig under there, you know? Just being real. That's not what authenticity is. It's actually got nothing to do with you imposing yourself on other people. So Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking out to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Just being real is often a way of saying, you're doing something to me, and I need you to change. And I'm just being real about it. That's not okay. That's not authenticity. Authenticity, defined by Brene Brown, and again, I'm going to use her a lot today because I actually really like her, but she says that authenticity is the daily practice of letting go of who we think we're supposed to be and embracing who we are. Isn't that good? Letting go of who we think we're supposed to be. Like, I don't know. There's so many people. There's so many voices out there that will tell you what you should look like. Maybe it's, it's culture, maybe it's social media, maybe, maybe it's friendships. I particularly hate this one, but religion. Religion can do that to you. Religion can tell you, hey, if you're a good Christian, you're going to look like this. If, you're, you know, if you want to be accepted in this community, you need to act this way, and you need to look like this. And there's this pressure to make you conform to something that you're not in the name of pleasing God or fitting in. And that's just not okay. What if instead of accepting and embracing all of these kind of things, what if, what if instead of, uh, I don't know, trying to conform into what we think we're supposed to be, what if we were free enough in our relationships, like free enough in who we were in Christ, we were courageous enough in the knowledge of God's love for us that we were able to say something like, you know what, I let go. I quit. I'm not going to try and be who I think I'm supposed to be. I'm not going to try and be who you're trying to tell me I need to be. I'm just going to be me. That would be healthy. That would be really liberating, really free. And I tell you, that would be the seedbed for very real and authentic relationships that actually get stuff done and that are fulfilling and meaningful because we're not playing the game of trying to put up with each other or trying to be something to each other that we don't have to be. So in Philippians, the Apostle Paul, he, he, uh, he kind of gives us an example of how this worked out in his life. So Philippians 3, 4 to 6, he says this. He says, if anyone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, let's talk about the flesh for a minute, put confidence in how I appear. If anybody thinks that they have confidence in how they appear or what they present, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He's, in other words, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm everything that culture says I should be. As far as my religion, as far as my church goes, I nail every box. I tick every single box. I am perfectly what I should have been and what everybody wanted me to be. And in his regards to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. In other words, he's like, I literally ticked every box, not only in terms of what God wanted from me or what I thought God wanted. I ticked every box in terms of what all my leaders thought I should be, my friends, my peers, my culture, my, my, my whole society. I was at the top of the pack. I was everything. And he spent so much time trying to be what he thought God wanted him to be. And then, 
then he has this beautiful moment where he has this vision of Jesus. He has this conversion. I think this whole transformation happened in his conversion. I think he, he saw Jesus so clearly. He had such a picture of the Son of God, the Son of Man, and he saw in an instant, he saw, wow, that's what I should be. He saw in Jesus what, what perfect humanity looks like. And you know what he saw? He saw himself. When you, when you see Jesus, you see yourself. That's why, you know, when we were doing see, see Yourself Here, we were talking about the vision of Jesus filling and flooding your life. Because not only is he the perfect picture of God, but he's the perfect picture of you. That's what humanity is designed to be. All of us are summed up in Christ. So I hope that when you think about yourself, you're looking at Jesus. And when you're seeing him, you're seeing yourself. And Paul had this moment. And after having this moment of seeing himself in Christ, he says in Philippians 7 and 9, he said, all these things that I thought were gains for me, all the, all the approval, all the acceptance, everything that I think I had because I was able to present myself in a particular way, now I think all that stuff's nonsense. It's all loss. I consider it loss and I've traded it for the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus my Lord for whose sake I've lost all this stuff and I think they're garbage. I think it's actually dumb that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes by my own self, by my own presentation, by my own ability to tick the boxes and say, this is who I am, God, look at me, aren't I awesome? He said, I traded all that and I'm just gonna be me. Because he saw himself in Christ and he saw himself complete in Christ and in Christ he was able to say, I'm enough, I'm worthy. I can show up fully. I mean, there's nothing wrong with me in Jesus. You know, when you think about yourself outside of Jesus, you got some troubles, right? But when you're in Christ and the life and the light of Jesus floods you and fills your soul and just your union with him is so alive and real to you, you can be aware of your faults and your failures, the things that you're still working on, but not be diminished by them. And that's actually really important because that actually helps you to be more real and authentic. See, it would be, it, wouldn't it be awkward if I was like, hey guys, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I never do anything wrong. I'd give my wife the microphone and she'd be like, eh, wrong. Follow me around for a little bit. You know what I mean? But here's the thing. In Christ, I am perfect. I am the righteousness of God. But because I know that I am that in Christ and at the core, that's who I am, I'm free to talk about the places where he's still working something out in me. He's not trying to make me more mature in the sense that I lack something. He's trying to bring something out of me that I already possess. So when you're able to be authentic and own your identity in Christ, what happens is you're able to be free in relationships. And Paul demonstrated this. Philippians 3 verse 12, he says, you know what, guys? I've just explained to you what I've done. I explained a little bit of my journey. Jesus took hold of me for something really specific, and I'm pressing onto it. But I want you to know this. I haven't arrived yet. He was free to say, I didn't, I'm not there. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine a Pharisee going into the Pharisee church and saying, hey, guys, I really broke the law today? What would happen? I mean, these guys wanted to stone and kill everybody. You're not free in that environment to be honest about who you are and what's going on in your world. But when you're able to own your identity in Christ and able to say, I'm actually complete in him and, 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 and he's actually made me perfect and you're, you're able to own that, it actually changes the way you're able to have relationships because there's no need for a pretense anymore. So Paul, he says things like, you know what? I've not actually obtained this. I've not arrived at my goal. He was able to be real at a whole new level. So, the challenge there, and I think, again, don't hear a religious admonition to work and strive and to pump up your own flesh. Just recognize that the Spirit of God is powerfully at work in you to help you to let go of who you think you're supposed to be. He's in you to help you to let go for other people, to let others go from what you think they should be, and to embrace who we are in Christ. 
And I'll tell you what, that's, that's a powerful moment in communion, right? When you're able to say, you know, we have a common union. We're all one in Jesus, and you can actually see each other in that way. And not just in church on the first Sunday of the month, but you're actually able to see the people you're in relationship with as partakers of that one spirit. Oh my goodness, that's a game changer. That's a serious game changer as far as relationships go. So we're free to be who we are. We're free to express ourselves. We're free to say, you know what, I haven't attained to where I want to be, but I'm moving on. Because in Christ, I'm already complete. And when you can use this new freedom, not to, I've said barf, hopefully I can say that, not barf your, your, your reality and your truth all over other people, but you use authenticity as a way to allow access to your life that allows other people to be real as well. That's the true value of authenticity. When somebody's able to stand up and say, this is who I am, this is who I am in Christ, and this is what he's pulling out of me, that gives other people the permission to be free and to be real about their own lives as well. Amen? So authenticity, big deal. We want to be real. But here's the thing, and this leads to number three here, the, the PAV, vulnerability. Sometimes you can be really, really real. You can work up all the courage to, to actually uh, express yourself. You drop all the masks, you present yourself, and you're like, hey world, here I am. And you find that world sometimes doesn't like you. Not because there's anything wrong with you, just, I mean, the sheer, just the sheer numbers, the sheer multiplicity of people on planet Earth, we're not gonna all ring each other's bells, and that's okay, right? I hope. Like, we should all love each other, but it doesn't mean we've all got everything in common. Some people just, their personality is just great against the other. We got to love each other, but let's be real, right? There, there's just some things. Some people have things in common. You know, in a house that's built out of bricks, not every brick is connected to every brick. The trick is get connected really closely to the people who are around you. Connect with those bricks. You're not going to connect with everybody. But you know what? Once you be real, it doesn't mean and it doesn't, it doesn't necessitate that everybody's going to like you and like what you present. Sometimes because that's just the way the world works and other times just because they're rude. Let's be real. Okay? Sometimes there's no guarantee that you're going to be accepted. And that is actually what is at the heart of this thing called vulnerability. So Brene Brown, she, just, she defines this thing, vulnerability, as uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. It's pretty, pretty good stuff. Being vulnerable, it's not so much something that you decide to do, as much as it is, it's, a, it's, a, it's an acknowledging that life itself is actually full of uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. That's actually in life. There's no guarantee. And that's okay. Just because you're able to work up the courage and be real does not, like I said, does not mean everything's going to be sunshine and roses. But what the love of God does for you inside of you is it allows you to face that rejection, stand up and say, actually, I'm actually worthy and I'm worthy of love and I'm actually worth being put out there and I'm worth trying again and I'm not going to give up on the people who rejected me. I'm going to continue to love them. And being vulnerable and being resilient to this thing called shame is being able to stand up when you've been rejected, walk back into that relationship and say, here, I'm here and I'm here to give myself to you even though you hurt me. And that's what vulnerability is all about. See, if you try to eliminate the risk of rejection or the shame or, or the, the, the pain that sometimes is inherent in all relationships, for better or worse, if you try to eliminate these things from your lives, you're, you're actually not going to end up experiencing life to the fullest. So if you try to do relationships eliminating the risk, that might look like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to put myself out there and let's say try to meet somebody. It might be, I'm not going to, uh, I don't know, I'm not going to communicate my ideas. 
I'm not going to go and, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know, I'm not going to go to small group and I'm not going to say what I think about this Bible verse because if I put myself out there, somebody might reject me or laugh at me or ridicule me. I mean, it looks like a whole bunch of different ways. But here's the thing, you, you really can't control that. But what you can do is you can decide that you're going to embrace vulnerability. You're going to embrace the risk and put yourself out there anyways. Isn't that what God did? He sent his son with no guarantees. Jesus decided, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to give everything. I'm, I, I mean, he, he exposed him. Think of Jesus on the cross. God Almighty is naked, broken, and bleeding for everybody to see in all of his glory, just there, bleeding, fully exposed and unable to hide in any way. Nailed to a tree. He put himself out there completely. He couldn't, he, there's nothing else he could do. There's nothing else. He didn't hide anything from us. It was we, the Bible says, who hid our faces from him. Isaiah 53. No, he put himself out there and there's no guarantee that everybody's going to accept or reject him or even appreciate him, much less understand what he did. But he was willing to do it anyways. Because the, the reward of the possibility of a free relationship was just too much for him. He's just like, man, for the joy of the possibility of relationship, because it means so much to me, it means so much to my father's heart to get to know people, to become involved with them. He's like, man, that's my joy and I'm willing to risk it all. And he did. And that's our model, that's, that's our example. So we can't control whether we're accepted or rejected. We really can't, but we can embrace the risk. And Brene Brown says, if you decide that you're gonna trade your authenticity for safety, in other words, you're not gonna be the real you. You're not gonna put yourself out there because you're too afraid. If you decide to try and keep yourself safe, she said the, the, the fruit of her research, what she's discovered in her findings is that if you try to do that, what you're actually gonna experience is anxiety, depression, eating disorders, addiction, rage, blame, resentment, inexplicable grief. These are all things that happen to you when you exist in that place of hiding. When you decide, you know what, I'm not going to put myself out there because I'm afraid of being rejected and I'm afraid of being hurt, and you retreat, well, it's in that little circle that you've created for yourself, in, in your closet, if you will, where all this stuff starts to fester. So the bad stuff might happen to you if you step out into life. You might get rejected. Bad stuff might happen to you. But you know what? Bad stuff's going to happen to you if you try and hide too. That's actually where it happens. So what we need to do is be able to be courageous enough in the love of God to be able to say, I'm a loved, beloved child of God, and there's nothing that you can do to me that's going to take away my value and my worth to God. That's why what Pastor Carl said, being able to say he's Lord, recognize Jesus as source in your life, that's a, that's a fountain. That's something that no one can take from you. That's a, that's a worth and a value that you possess. That's a, that's a wellspring of life inside of you that it doesn't matter who's doing what to you. You don't need them, right? You, you need to be able to present yourself and you need to have the opportunity to share what God's given you. But as far as being complete and whole as an individual, you are that in Christ. So it's in, those, it's, it's in the hiding. Go figure, it's in the hiding where all the bad stuff happens. So we need to embrace the reality that, that bad might happen, but through Jesus, through his love, his acceptance, belonging, identity, worth, all this stuff I find in Jesus, I'm more than enough, and I can put myself out there. And Paul asked the Philippians to do that. He said, you know what, what I want you to do, he's like, I want you to go and shine like stars. Hold the word of truth out there in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation. Now think about that. Paul is writing to them because he took the word out there in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation, and they put him in jail. And Paul's basically saying, look, I can't guarantee you're not going to end up like me. I can't guarantee that those crooked and perverse people aren't going to do crooked and perverse things to you. But what I want you to do anyways is I want you to go into the midst of them and I want you to shine. 
I want you to hold out the light, the life, and the word of God. I want you to shine the life and the light of Christ in the world, in the midst of it. Don't hide from it. Run into it. Know that this stuff might happen. And in fact, in another part in Philippians, he's like, when you experience that kind of opposition and rejection, don't be disheartened. Know that whatever is the source of that opposition against you and the work of God inside of you, that's actually a sign of their defeat. So be courageous when you're being, you know, rejected or, or shamed or something. And know that the love of God for you is actually more powerful than all of that. And when you act as a lightning rod for that kind of stuff, what's actually happening is the influence of the shame and the power of the rejection is actually being cut down at its root. Because you're able to stand in that space and be able to demonstrate the love of God. And the love and the light of God always win. Amen? All right, so instead of uh, hiding, we got to show up. Vulnerability, it's really not confessing all of your stuff. Being vulnerable is really not being able to tell everybody how weak and awful you are. You know, that's kind of a notion that we have. It's not about self-debasement. It's actually a willingness to embrace risk by making yourself available to others, even when the possibility exists that you're going to be hurt by them. And it's in this place of risk, uncertainty, exposure that you're also going to find, and Brene Brown, she said she's found this in her research, it's in that place of risk where you find innovation, where you find creativity and change. You can't escape the fact that risk happens, but you can boldly walk into it empowered by the love of God, and that's where all the good things in life are found. It's counterintuitive, but it's, hey, step in. Isn't that the essence of faith? Faith expresses itself through love. It says, man, this might hurt, but I'm stepping in. All right, and then the last one. This is it here, for expectation management. Now, I really think one of the worst things you can do in a relationship with another person is to place absolutely ridiculous, absurd expectations on them. It's when you start to ask things of people that they can't give you. It's at that point that you're starting to move in your relationship from your, your connection being a source of life and joy and strength to something that suffocates you, it smothers you, it binds you. William Shakespeare, I don't know, I'm not a Shakespeare reader, but I found this. I thought this was great. He said, expectation is the root of all heartache. Amazing. Expectation is the root of all heartache. It's the root of heartache for the people who have expectations placed on them because they feel like they can never live up. They can never attain to the standard that you're trying to impose on them. But expectation is also the, the root of all heartache for the person who puts expectations on other people because people are going to let you down. See, we're not designed to, to, to fulfill each other's deep needs. We can't. So when we're asking people to do that for us, we're asking them to do something impossible. We're setting them up for failure and ourselves up for disappointment, and we're creating a problem and a conflict in a relationship from before it even starts. And oftentimes, the, the insidious part about expectations is sometimes we don't even communicate them. We just end up in a relationship with somebody, we're expecting them to do something, and then we're expecting them to know what we're expecting them to do before we even tell them what it is. And then you're all mad, you feel disappointed and let down, and the other person's like, I, I just walked in the room, I, I, don't know. I don't know. But apparently you were supposed to walk in the room in a certain way and say a certain thing at a certain time with a certain thing in your hand. And I mean, you just gotta guess or get a ridiculous word of knowledge. That's not fair. <laughs> it's not fair that we do that to each other. It's not fair that we do that to ourselves. See, we can't ask people to be Jesus to us. We can't do it. Do you know what else, though? We can't be Jesus to other people. We can't set ourselves up to be that person for someone else. Sometimes, and this is really, really hard, sometimes it's better to let someone you love embark on their own gut-wrenching, almost it looks like it's destroying them, embark on their own journey. 
than it is to try to make them codependent on you because you can't bear to see them go through a little bit of pain. See, that's where real faith comes in. That's where you trust people. See, Paul, when he was talking to the Ephesian elders, he said he was commending them to the grace of God. Sometimes that's all you, that's all you can do. I mean, sometimes it's equally damaging on you to, put, to have expectations put on you, you putting expectations on others, and then both of you trying to fulfill this bargain that you've made. It's codependent, it's unhealthy, and it's never going to work. We just got to learn how to trust each other to the grace of God. We got to be able to trust Jesus with the people that we love. So when we trust Jesus as our source, that's a really big deal. Now, the flip side of that is, is that I think that, I think in the first service I called people lemons. I don't know if that was healthy or not, but I think it's equally bad to be able to say to somebody, you know, I don't expect, I don't expect you to be Jesus to me, but you're such a lemon, I don't expect anything from you. Like that, that's not helpful either, right? We're, we're people created in the image of God and we have a lot to bring to relationships. You can't bring Jesus part. You can't bring, you can't be God to somebody. You can't fulfill somebody's deepest needs, but what you can do is show up and be like, you know, God created Eve for Adam, right? There, there is a partnership that we are supposed to have. So it's not wrong to have expectations on each other. Paul had expectations of the Hebrew Christians. Hebrews 6 verse 8, it says, hey, you guys, you've, you've experienced the word of God. Or he's, he's talking about a people that had experienced the word, but they weren't bearing fruit. So he's writing to the Hebrews and he's saying, you know what, guys, don't be like them. I've actually got better expectations for you. You're experiencing the word and the spirit of God. I'm expecting things that accompany your salvation. I've got high hopes for you. But here's the thing. The hopes that he had was rooted in an experience of salvation and in the power of God. So in Philippians, he says to them, he goes, you know what? I think about you guys often. I pray for you a lot. And every time I do, I'm confident of this thing, that he who began a good work in you is going to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, I have an expectation that that thing that Jesus started in your life is going to come to a flourishing conclusion, but he's going to be the one that does it. So I'm not asking you to be something that you can't be. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, he says, you know what, guys, I was with you for a little while. When I was with you, I held you by the hand. I unpacked this whole salvation thing for you. I helped you out. I'm going away now. And as I go, I have an expectation on you that you're going to work out this salvation for yourself. I'm not here with you anymore. Do it yourself. And do it with fear and trembling, but remember this, and this is the root of all good and healthy expectations that we put on each other. It's God who's at work in you to will and to do your good pleasure. So when you can move expectations, when they move out of the realm of putting demands on people, asking them to be something to us that they can never be, and you've got an expectation that's rooted in the power and the movement and the spirit of God in people's lives, expectation moves from, I need you to be something for me to satisfy me, to having language of expectation that helps other people to realize what God's at work inside of them to do and to bring out of them. So expectation moves from a demanding, controlling, servile experience to where I'm speaking life to you and I'm believing in you. Hey, when I'm asking this of you, I'm telling you that the spirit of God inside of you can actually make this happen. It's not up to you. It's not about you. So Alanis Morissette, I, just, I got Jagged Little Pillow, that whole album stuck in my head these days. But one of her songs, she says, you know what? I don't want to be your better half. One plus one equals two. Isn't that beautiful? I don't want to be your better half. I don't want to be your half. Two halves don't come together. Two holes come together. And when two holes come together, they produce something beautiful and whole. They're not struggling to try and become something. They actually, just by being with each other, they produce life and health. So, that was a very quick run through, but here's my quick summary. Developing skills required to do relationships well 
is not only a, a worthwhile investment, but I would argue it's actually what the Spirit of God is doing in each of our lives. God is love. God is a relational being. And like I said, these kind of things that can kind of a little bit sound a little bit psychological, philosophical, and you know what? I'm unapologetic about that. There's nothing wrong with that. The fact is the Spirit of God is doing this, and sometimes we need to embrace language like we're going to hear about on the 15th. We're going to experience somebody give language and tools and handles to things that help us. So we've got to not be afraid of that. And I'm telling you, if you let God's Spirit and His love shed abroad in your heart, if you let that disciple you, you'll learn how to be present in your relationships. We'll learn all about authenticity. We'll, we'll be vulnerable, and we'll, we'll let go of all the unhealthy expectations that we put on ourselves and on each other. We'll find completion, satisfaction in Jesus alone. And the language of expectations, the way we talk and communicate and interact with each other, it'll go from putting burdensome demands on other people to actually liberating them and empowering them and setting them free to realize that the power of God is at work in you to do more than you can ask, think, or even imagine. So I'm not becoming a burden to you, and I'm not you know, straddling you with bondage and expectation. I'm speaking language to you that liberates you and frees you and helps us to come to a shared understanding of what the power of God is at work in us to do. When you put all this stuff together, it takes me back to my acronym. When you embrace God's work in these ways, I think it's going to pave the way to healthy and productive relationships. Amen?